listening to the We Can't Wrestle Podcast. Now it's time for our host, Nate Matson. Hello, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode 167 of the We Can't Wrestle podcast. Nate Maxson, your host, here with you, and I am joined by a cavalcade of co-hosts this week. As always, my brother Aaron is here. What's up, it puppets? And as well as the host here on the WrestleNet Radio podcast of If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking, my good friend, Mr. Archie Mitchell. What's up, everybody? And we are joined this week for the first time on the We Can't Wrestle podcast by the host of the newest show on the WrestleNet Radio Podcast Network, Mark's Indie Spotlight, Mr. Mark Brew is here. Welcome to the show, Mark. Hello, hello everybody. I don't have no, you know, catchphrase, but I'm here. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. have one Welcome yet. the Major Leagues, boy. You yeah. got to bring some. You'll, you'll come up with one. It's good. Yeah. It's, it's you know, work on the gimmick. It'll, it's, a, it's all right. It's good. Um, this week, of course, we are going to continue our journey through the Pro Wrestling Illustrated 500, the first one from 1991. Last week, we left off at number 221, and it was a, it was a doozy. It was Chip the Firebreaker at 221. I don't remember what we said about him, but I'm sure it was disparaging. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely <laughs> positive it was. Yeah, it um, had to be like ridiculous because it sounded ridiculous. <laughs> with the enthusiasm, he said. <laughs> you know what always uh, bothered me about him? Not to really go back, uh, but because oh, where do we start? Like, but his tag team partner was Todd mm. Champion, like the most boring, lackluster character there could have been. You know what I mean? And they were mm-hmm. basically the village people. They were the and ambiguously gay. That was what they that were. That too. That too. <laughs> I don't think it was ambiguous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the they obviously were the straight, gay duo. They were the straightforward gay duo. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll be starting at number 220 here in just a moment. But Aaron is going to start the show off. We're going to have a little dedication at the beginning of the show this week. Yeah, guys. And like, like I was saying, I don't want it to be like a somber tone or anything like that. But um, we lost a member of our family today and and I, if anybody says that an animal whether it's a cat a dog uh, anything isn't a member of your family that you've taken care of and they've taken care of you for years they're i'll smack them in the fucking mouth like um we had this little dog her name's sadie um she made it 15 years um we lost her today and I just wanted to dedicate the show to her and like she's she was the smallest fucking dog you could see but she had the biggest heart and she would be outside if she was outside and somebody walked by the fucking yard even though she was caged in she's like now like like the the um the 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 phrase of it's not the the size of the how do I say it? It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the fight of the size. Of, it's the the size of the fight in the dog. That was yep, fucking you got funny. it, man. Like like she would protect this fucking house. Like she didn't give a fuck 
if it was a fucking truck like a that was driving by, she's like, no, like get the fuck away. She didn't the care. Little ones always have the Napoleon complex. Anyway, yeah, she didn't. She didn't give a fuck what she was running to. And every day when I would come home from work, the door would open, and she was the first one to fucking greet me, just jumping up and down. And I'm gonna miss her a lot. And just if you have an animal, take care of it. And if you don't want a fucking animal, don't have one. Right. That that's the other fucking thing that I don't understand me. people that have a dog and then they keep it outside and you know outside all the time. Why do you yeah. have the dog? Yeah, like, what's the point? I, and I'm not even saying that when I'm saying like farm dogs and shit like that. Right. It's like that dog can run around do its thing, but if you live in town, if you live in a town and you have a fence and and all that shit, don't fucking just leave your dog outside. And like I said, I don't want to talk too much about it, but I just wanted to say that this dog had been my fucking, other than my brother, has been my best friend for fucking 12 years. And I didn't understand people honestly being sad about a dog or an animal dying until I met that dog. You know what I mean? And and she was fucking loyal. She'd be there for you. Every fucking day, and they're so expressive with their fucking eyes. Like, like when they look at you and you look at them, you know exactly what they're fucking thinking. And all they're thinking is, you're my person. I fucking love you, and I loved her, and I just I just wanted to say a couple kind words about Sadie, and even if we say some off-the-wall fucking funny line today, <laughs> Nate's told me that this fucking show tonight it's going to be Sadie and I want to dedicate the show to her. Absolutely. Like and, it. and, uh, I, I kind of said that it was funny that you said that Aaron, cause I kind of said the same thing earlier. I text our aunt to, uh, console her about it, you know, and she, I said, you know, if Sadie was a good girl, sorry for your loss. And she said, um, she was a good dog, but she did bark a lot. Just kind of lighthearted, you know? And I said, but she barked out of love because she was protecting you. You know, that's, you know, that's the whole, that's the whole thing. She was, she was trying to protect her people and protect her space. And like I said, I, I didn't want to be depressing about it, but like it didn't hit me until last night when I watched her try to find water. Cause she had, she had lost her vision and she could barely walk and her bowl was like super small, you know, cause she was a small dog and she was just, she knew where the fucking water was, but she couldn't fucking find it. And that's when it was like, God damn. And I, I, I cried like a fucking baby and got to, I, I got a straw, brought the water through the straw, hold, held my thumb on it, you know, so you can keep it in there and was at least I, able to, at least I, able to, not, not her last drink of water, but I was one of the people to be able to like, hold her and at least give her her last one of her last like you know treats in life and, and not that water's a treat but you guys know what I'm saying yeah yeah and Aaron, Aaron said he didn't want to make this a long thing but kind of the same experience Archie and Aaron no, I don't know if Mark I don't you I don't think you and I were um like buddies yet when it happened but with my wife and I had this old very dramatic cat I used to say he was a drag queen because he was a very dramatic cat and he was very old and uh, 
he decided in grand hymn fashion, because he always had to be the, the center of attention, he died on Christmas this year. Like he, yeah. he went into like the, the day, the, the day before Christmas Eve, he started the whole, I'm going to die. And then at Christmas Eve all day, it was just like, he's dying. And then we got up Christmas morning and he was dead. And he was like, because you're never going to for fucking forget me. But yeah. I had the so same, cool. I had the same kind of thing as Aaron did. You know, I had to that, that last day. I'm, you know, I'm trying to get the water in his mouth because he was just laying there. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't move. He couldn't, you know, and you just, you want him to be comfortable at least. Yeah. And I'm not going to say, I'm not going to agree with the drag queen thing. Cause what I'm going to say is what I think, like if reincarnation is a thing, I think when like pricks die, they come back as cats. Cause they're just like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> knock this over, knock that over. But when the people that you love and the kind-hearted people come back, they come back as dogs. So I don't want to say they're drag queens because I'm pretty sure I'm going to come back as a cat. Because <laughs> I am a prick. <laughs> but, but I'll be the cat and like Nate will be the dog. This next hey, dog, how you doing? <laughs> Regulate. I'm all right, well, this one's for you, Sadie. The Pro Wrestling Illustrated 500, Thanks 1991. Absolutely. We're a family here. Let's go. 220. Number 220 in Bigger and stronger than his famous dad improves with each month. I've seen plenty of Rip Oliver. I don't know that I've ever even seen a Larry Oliver match. He must suck so bad that they didn't even take pictures of him because on the internet wrestling database, he is not even pictured. (laughs) (laughs) No photo available. And they're like, we ain't got no Larry here. No Larry. No Mr. Larry. I have a distinct feeling that Larry Oliver is not the actual child of Rip Oliver. He was just a guy that was trained by him, and he was like, you're a big son bitch. Let's see if I can get a couple more years out of my career with you, and then it didn't happen. Yeah. You'll be my illegitimate son. <laughs> hey, it was so, better than the Von Erich. We'll go on to another uh, <laughs> better ending, I'm, I'm assuming. Right. Um, I mean... <laughs> oh, I'm terrible. Um, triumph and tragedy. Um the we'll go on to another obscure. Mark was looking like he's like, did that guy commit suicide? Let me like. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, they're like, we don't even know how he died. There's not even an obituary for this motherfucker. Well, I mean, if they didn't take the time to put him on the internet wrestling database, they probably didn't even put a picture in the obituary. <laughs> um, another obscure quote unquote family member, two nineteen Todd Morton. Five nine two twenty three three years pro cousin of Rick Morton has the same high flying style has teamed with Rick in the past competes semi regularly in Tennessee has trouble against Giants. Anybody got anything on Todd Morton? Who, who doesn't have trouble against Giants? Wait a minute, Hulk Hogan brother. <laughs> I guess so, but um, I, Andre the Giant was, was seven hundred and Andre the Giant was seven hundred and two pounds. There were seventy. There were seventy seven. Hundred thousand people in the Pontiac Silverdome. He was he was nine five. Yes, Hogan yeah. loves to exaggerate. Um, you know what's you know what's you know what's ridiculous about it, and I, I 
I think Jim Cornette said it before. Hulk Hogan, yeah, Hulk Hogan exaggerates, and he doesn't have any reason to. Look at his why? career, and well, you know why? The most extravagant fucking life <laughs> in history. Like, why do you need to fucking lie? <laughs> the reality is cool enough, man. He's the John Lovitz of wrestling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the yeah, ticket, brother. Yeah, that's yeah, brother, that's the ticket. <laughs> well, apparently, the only thing really noteworthy I can see throughout his matches is that he lost the Chris Hero. <laughs> well, wait, he's Chris made it Hero, in. Chris Hero, as in Cassius Ono from NXT and Indy, Indy Chris Hero? Yep. Damn, he's been around since 91? Since before <laughs> 91, because in 91 he was three years pro. Well, how old is Chris Hero? <laughs> well, Chris, if you, Chris Hero's been wrestling since the mid two thousands, at least, like maybe oh oh four oh five. That's what I'm saying. How long has he been around? Jesus. <laughs> uh, this happened on January fourth, two thousand and three. Oh, oh, okay. Mid South. Ah, okay, that makes sense. Then. Number two eighteen is Larry Sharp. We all know who that is. 6'3", yes. 260, 17 years pro, famous around the world for being the man who originated the Monster Factory, operates pro wrestling training centers in New Jersey and Ohio, still competes on occasion. Larry Sharp, great trainer, shitty promo, shitty wrestler. I agree 100%. And, and when, creeper promo peak. Have you seen it? <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> My God. <laughs> I love Mark's real time commentary on these folks. I love it. But the the um the the most I've seen of Larry Sharp, to be honest with you, and obviously, like I said, great trainer. He trains some great wrestlers. Um I've seen a few of his matches. I wasn't impressed. And then when Bam Bam Bigelow first came into, I believe it's it was world class, because Larry Sharp trained him. He was with um he was with Bam Bam, Larry Sharp was. And it was mm-hmm. like, why are why are they having this guy do the yeah, that's pretty bad. That uh, <laughs> that promo pick there. Um why are they having this guy, this Larry Sharp fellow, speak for Bam Bam when Bam Bam can per- can speak for himself fine. Oh this- no, oh no. <laughs> Aaron so- finally saw the picture. Oh. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Looks like those tights would have skid marks. Ill or like a damn it, a moose knuckle. <laughs> I also feel bad for Larry Sharp, business consultant. <laughs> they go to Google that Larry shit, Sharp. and then they're like, "Are you the same guy?" Like we saw your moose knuckle. <laughs> we don't. No, we don't want we your. Don't, cons- we don't want your consultation. Yeah, we don't care about how you want to fucking streamline our internet. You gross son of a bitch. And he's like, that's not me. I'm the libertarian nominee for the governor of New York. I'm not the fucking bleach blonde moose knuckle you saw. (laughs) Damn you, Sadie. I can't call this episode bleach blonde moose knuckle. Number 217 is King Cobra. 
six foot two forty, eleven years pro. Vet shocked sport by capturing the USWA title from Jerry Lawler in nineteen eighty nine. Has slowed down in recent months. Maybe the most perfectly balanced of all Memphis wrestlers. Does anybody know who King Cobra was? I do not. No. Uh, looks like because I mean I've seen stuff with King Cobra in Memphis footage, but I don't know if he was if he was somebody or what if he ever became someone else. He looks like a buff Rick James. Looks <laughs> <laughs> like a buff a buff Rick. Rick That's another great name for the show. <laughs> buff Rick James. I'm Buff Rick James, bitch. Uh, how about he asked Jerry Lawler what the five fingers say to the face whichever one you pick put Sadie and then put it in like um, (laughs) featuring bleach blonde or black or black Black Rick James (laughs) what Rick James Number 216, this guy was horrible. Charlie Norris, 6'7", 285, three years pro. Full-blooded Chippewa Indian is a rising star. Trained for the sport by Eddie Sharkey. Won a tournament to become the Pro Wrestling America champion in 1989. <coughs> he is he is tons of Tatanka. That's what he is. He is Charlie Norris, the big fat Indian that was on I, WCW. I, I think I said this when we mentioned Sam Houston on another episode. And I said, I always thought that they should have made a tag team together, Sam Houston and Charlie Norris. You know what I mean? Call it like Cowboys and Indians or Lone Ranger and Tonto or something like that. (laughs) You know, he was bad. He was big and clumsy. There's literally only like four matches on the database. No, I mean, he had had a run in WCW. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, that's all all the matches that are listed are from WCW. (laughs) Four of them. (laughs) <laughs> he was one of them schlubs that just sat around fucking center stage waiting for somebody to tell him to go out there and fucking lose to Kevin Sullivan. He was a piece of shit. Number 215. Hey, Bubba. It's Colonel Mustafa. Yeah. Six foot, oh, 262, 18 years pro, formerly known as the Iron Sheik, former WWF champion, has fallen a long way, now a lackey for Sergeant Slaughter. Age and bulk have decreased suplex skills. Okay, so I always thought... There was a mixed or there was a missed opportunity with this story because they brought the Iron Sheik who everybody knew the Iron Sheik was the Iron Sheik. Right. And they do when he first debuts his first debut match, they acknowledge that he was the the Iron Sheik and they come up with some cockamamie scheme as to why he's Colonel Mustafa now. Mm -hmm. But I don't know why they didn't just say, you know, uh, Sergeant Slaughter, you know, because Iran and Iraq hate each other. You know, something to the effect of Sergeant Slaughter's and General Adnan are so in, influential or whatever. They got they got the Iron Sheik to turn on Iran or whatever and join them. I don't know why they didn't just do that instead of doing the goofy Colonel Mustafa deal. Because, I, I like you said, like they were going to call fucking tugboat Sheik tugboat. He were going to use the word Sheik. So just make him the Iron Sheik. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, easy. He's probably, you know, I, I enjoyed his in-ring stuff, but I really enjoy his fucking Twitter. Yes, his, yeah, his Twitter, Twitter is his Twitter is amazing. And his 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 uh before he started getting to the point where he doesn't do them anymore because of his health and stuff, man, some of his shoot interviews are wild. Um, 
There's one with him, New Jack, and Honky Tonk Man. That's like oh, yeah. one, of the, one of the craziest fucking shoot interviews you've ever seen in your life. Like you can tell New Jack and <laughs> New it's Jack and uh, that's the that's the one where literally while they're doing the sh- the shoot interview, their drugs show up. Yeah, you know, and like there's a knock at the door in the hotel, and Jack and goes fucking, and gets the drugs. Fucking and- Sheik, Sheik goes off about Abdullah because Abdullah. <laughs> was running a chicken and rib joint at the time and wouldn't give the boys a discount or free food. And he's like, fuck, fuck Abdullah. Fuck him. He won't give the boys a break. And New Jack's like, tell him kiss the ring, bitch. And Abdullah, her fucking, she's like, kiss the ring, bitch. And then New Jack's like, fuck you. Larry, <laughs> I call him Larry. Oh my god! By his shoot, fucking yeah! Like, fuck you, Larry. Larry, give the boys a break. It's fucking great. And Sheik is a fucking national treasure, man. Like I, 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 and I know he had fucking demons and all that shit but I never heard of him being like hurtful to his family. Uh, Yes I was just about to say that like yes he had his addictions and he had his problems but he wasn't like a Jake Roberts piece of shit that never saw his kids you know or or had kids that never didn't even find out they were that he was their dad until X amount of time or X years or whatever you know he just he was just Sheik was a partier. That's all there was to it, you know. I've never, but like Aaron said, I've never heard anybody say anything malicious about him or that he was a prick or any kind of anything like that. And he totally respected the business, you know. <laughs> or I love when he taught when they talk about Vince bringing him in there and being like, uh, "Sheik, you tested, uh, you tested positive for uh, cocaine." It's like, yes, yes, uh, positive, positive. Thank you, Mister McMahon. It's like, no, that's bad. <laughs> Oh no, positive. Positive is good. It's like no. <laughs> like you've tested positive. The thing that I like so much about him is, is he don't care who he pisses off, he's gonna say what's on his mind. And people like that, the transparent people that, you know, you don't have to wonder what they're thinking. They're gonna let you know and it's gonna be, you know, Mm-hmm. Great cookie cutter. It's, it's whatever. It's no, whatever. It no bullshit. Yeah. And he roll. And he and he got over on WCW. They forgot mm-hmm. about him. They forgot that they had signed him. George Scott had signed him to a um, hundred thousand dollar contract, and they fucking forgot. And he had a rollover clause, and they fucking forgot that fucking Iron Sheik. Had a contract and it fucking rolled over, and he got another year of a hundred fucking thousand dollars. Good for him. Archie, any final comments on on Colonel Mustafa? Uh, the only thing I think they could have done, and I guess having the star power of the Iron Sheik helped in the feud, but maybe put a mask on him in the beginning or something, just so that it wouldn't have been so obvious that oh, mm-hmm. it was the Iron Sheik. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. But otherwise, um, I like them. I, I've always liked the Iron Sheik. His Twitter is fantastic. The Father's Day post to Hulk Hogan was incredible just now. Happy Father's Day to every living human being except for that fucking asshole, Hulk Hogan. That was like, <laughs> yeah, perfect. Perfect. 
You're gonna so, uh, yeah, I was just about to say, we'll round out our, our discussion of Corona Mustafa by saying, fuck the Hulk Hogan. Yes. All right. Number, actually, number one. Head, all jabroni. <laughs> 214. Second greatest, third greatest Hall of Fame, WWE Hall of Fame induction ever. Peace. Peace. He's like, peace. <laughs> Have a nice day. Have a nice day. That's how he ended it. <laughs> Have a nice day. Peace. <laughs> Great. Man who has lived a life. 214 is Doug Masters, 6'1", 230, one-year pro, impressive PNW rookie. Teams often with Steve Sawyer, surprising strength for a man his size, has engaged in a classic matches against the grappler. I'm not, I don't know who, I, I'm not a big, I, I don't know a lot about, especially 90s Portland. So I don't even know about yeah, there's this. A lot of, there's a lot of PNW guys in this fucking. Well, I think, because there was kind of a little bit of a resurgence of Portland in the very early 90s, but it just, I don't know. I didn't see any of it. So. Um, Doug Masters, do you mean the kid from uh, Iron Eagle with Lewis Gossett Jr.? No, I, all right. Never I, I think you might never be heard off of base. You might be. Off yeah, base. I think I, I think I might be. Yeah, <laughs> Iron Eagle was a good movie though. Two thirteen is Ken Wayne, five eight two zero eight fourteen years pro. Confusing, <clears throat> confusing, though talented. Sometimes scientific and sometimes not. Teamed with Danny Davis as the Nightmares. Still claims the Southern Light Heavyweight Title. I had not seen a lot of Ken Wayne until I watched I, I last year I went back and watched a lot of the Continental stuff from Alabama in the in the late 80s and him and Mike Davis were actually a really good tag team. Yeah, but his his description is like confusing but not high flying but not. It's like what the fuck is this guy? He's ambiguously walking. Ken Wayne. Ken what? Wayne. Walking contradiction, partly truth and partly fiction. It's like trick <laughs> magic. Uh, evidently, he had or not. He's because the man of like five different ring names right here. You said five different ring names. A lot no, of those. Oh, I was going to say a lot of those Southern Territory guys. You I know, feel they, like Ken Wayne might have been running from the law, right? <laughs> I'm not Ken Wayne. I'm Wayne Ken. You ain't heard of me. Yeah. It's like, oh, hey, man, we heard some guy named Ken Wayne shot a bitch in the face in Alabama. And he was like a super high flyer. So he's like, I got to I got to I got to bring it down. I got to do some groundwork. I'm going to do me some Dory Funk here. And I'm like, oh, that can't be the same guy. He's like, no, I'm not Ken Wayne. I'm Wayne Kane. It says American Eagle one. Galaxian number two, Galaxian Alpha, Ken Wayne, Master of Terror, Master of Terror one, Nightmare number two, and Tiger Mask. <laughs> it said Tiger Mask. Yeah, that, that'll fly. <laughs> he was one. Of, he was one of the Tiger Mask. I highly doubt it. He said, "I'm Tiger Mask." No, you're they not. You're Ken Wayne. I said, "I'm Tiger Mask." They're like, "Are you the guy that shot the bitch in the face in Alabama?" And he's like. He's like, Kenichiwa Saki Sushi. Yes. Number two. Number 212 is Apocalypse. 
265, four years pro. Teams with destruction as the Blackhearts. Sizable team has honed yeah. skills during frequent Japanese tourneys currently managed by it, in UWF by the devious Luna Vachon. Of course, this is Tom Nash. I believe it's Tom Nash at this point. Yes, it yeah. is. Teaming up with Gangrel, David Heath. Um, you guys ever see? I mean, I know they were they were only there for like three weeks, but did you see their their uh, weird but cool ring entrances in WCW? Yeah, yeah, they had they like, like druids. They had the, they had well, they did like the entrance where they were both looking at each other with the white masks, but because they were yeah. all wearing all black, you just saw the masks, and that was a they were cool. And the the thing that I, and I know we discussed it. What was it? The UWF pay per view we watched. Mm-hmm. AWF. AWF, yes. No, 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 you're right. No, sorry, you're no. Correct. They were okay. on the UWF, yeah. Um, I always, I don't know why, but I dug the screaming thing because it was just mm-hmm. odd. It was, it brought, you know, it brought the attention. Like these guys are just screaming like banshees for no reason, and I'm like, right. whoever came up with that, that's a brilliant fucking idea. You know, that it's keeps people's attention. You off guard that you know you enjoyed the most because you're like that was different. You know what yes. I'm saying? Like. That element of surprise really. Because you're, that. yeah, you see these two guys come out in black masks, black tights. You know, you're thinking like the spiders or whatever, and then they just start shrieking. And you're like, right. oh, I'm, 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 I'm interested what now. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah, this is great. Are they on meth? What's <laughs> happening? <laughs> they have no teeth. What the fuck is happening? <laughs> <laughs> they got they've got a shopping cart full of copper copper wire and hubcaps. What the fuck yeah. is going on? <laughs> All right, two uh, two eleven. Steve Sawyer. Nope. Swift rookie has become a favorite <laughs> in PNW nope. rings. Nick, like nope. Nicknamed Bart because of his resemblance to the cartoon character Bart Simpson. Tries That's to funny. stay within Bart the rule Sawyer? book. So huh? Bart Sawyer. I don't is know. Um, I just know that Bart Sawyer got called like Bart because of whatever, but I didn't hear the name you said. I was thinking about like, Steve, Steve Sawyer, the, the meth head Blackhearts. <laughs> I think we can roll on to two ten, right, guys? Yeah. yeah. Two ten is Stephen Dane. Formerly known as Stephen Casey, spectacular debut in battling Eric Embry for world class, the world-class light heavyweight title in 1988, has also competed in WCW. He looks like uh, a half Van Hammer. <laughs> I remember him somewhat, and I, I mean, yeah, I got to agree with Mark. He looked like a, a bootleg version of Van Hammer. And I think maybe that's why he wasn't around for so long because they were Van, like, no, we can't. Van, Van Mallet. Yeah. yeah. Van Hammer is a bootleg version of Van Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> like, like my best description just by looking at the picture, he looks like if Van Hammer and Barry Windham had a love child. <laughs> Van Windham. And they had Van like Windham. ramen noodles for hair. <laughs> Wait a minute. Isn't that Bo Dallas? Because <laughs> every time I see fucking Van Hammer, I'm just like, this is a fucking meathead with ramen noodles for hair. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, uh, fucking Kenny Omega looks like they deflated Van Hammer. <laughs> and then inflated him with packing peanuts. 
and shitty fake wrestling. All right. 209 Terminator 62270 4 years pro. If you're in Japan, Georgia, Florida right. or the IWA, chances are you'll find this clawhold specialist. Debuted in the UWF in 1987 under the management of General Skandor Akbar. It's Animal's brother. Right? It's Animal's brother. Like, people don't understand how deep Animal's family went in that business. Really? So he had more than one brother? He had more than John Laurinaitis wasn't his only brother? Yeah, Terminator. He was, they're, they're, they're a, um, like, they're a three deep Damn. family in there. Damn. Apparently his bro- his other brother is getting real deep recently. <laughs> yeah, three million dollars deep. <laughs> Figure it out. I I have one qualm with a couple of names we've heard. We heard Juggernaut he said- and we heard Terminator. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I had a <laughs> joke. Okay. I had a joke. I had a joke. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm thinking about I'm thinking about that chick going. What are you gonna do to me tonight, Johnny? And he's like, figure it out. <laughs> I'm gonna figure it out. Sorry. We we heard Juggernaut and Terminator, and then both guys were like six foot. If you're gonna put yourself that bad as a badass of a name, be six five and three hundred and twenty pounds. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> you're walking around yeah. with Arnold Schwarzenegger was a monster in the movie Terminator, and you're six foot. That it just don't that don't work. You know? <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger's only like five nine. But he was muscular, and he gave off a bigger appearance, Aaron. You know? The illusion. They had lifts in those damn boots. You can't tell me that. <laughs> but, yeah, Terminator, he was, he, he's in the Laronitis family. And um, I, um, I, I, I can't talk much about Terminator because I don't know a lot about his career. But I think, one, I think um, Animal was an underrated big man wrestler. I really do. I think, like, like people talk about, like, Bam Bam and Vader and all those guys. I think Animal's underrated, even though he's, I know he's, like, everybody's like, oh, LOD, Road Warriors, great tag team. I think that dude was fucking really good in the ring. And I, I... Think that his kid at some point is going to be a wrestler. I really do. Once his football career is over, yeah, I can agree with that. Like as, as far as animal goes, like I, I enjoyed seeing the whole doomsday device thing, but like that fucking power slam, like nobody's done it like him ever. And and like I've watched that like. Watching like ninety seven, like I, because you know I'm I'm like talking about ninety seven right now on my on my show, like he's hitting like drop kicks and he's fucking in that fucking That's ring and, and 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 he's he's getting it with fucking Owen and Davy and it's like eh, you're you ain't no slouch if you're fucking rolling with those right. guys you know what I mean so man up. I'm sure he's going to come up in this list, I'm assuming. Oh, I hope he does. Number 208, Ricky Santana, 5'10", 235, nine years pro, longtime favorite, turned bad in 1990, held the PNW tag titles twice in 90 with Curtis Thompson and Al Madrill, 
returned to WWC after being suspended from PNW. One of the things that it Al Madrill, uh, Jesus yeah. Christ, Al Madrill looked like he'd be selling you a used car. Yeah, how stanky um, was he in '91? <laughs> I always like that was one of the kayfabe things from the magazines that I fell for when I was a kid. Was I thought Ricky Santana was actually Tito Santana's brother? Like the, the, the magazines, the magazines convinced me that that was Tito Santana's brother. It was not Tito Santana's well, I mean, brother. Shit, if you look at the picture, you're like that can be anybody's cousin, you know? That's <laughs> right. <Yeah>. right. <laughs> Number two oh seven. Octagon, 5'6", 173 years pro, gains greater popularity with each Mexican match, masks like the great stars of the past, but displays agility like few before him, recently toured Japan and Europe. I dig Octagon. I mean, everything I've yeah. seen of him. I agree. He was a good high flyer. He definitely uh, set the, the stage for uh, other wrestlers coming into the United States and, and you know, Showing off that lucha style and that Japanese style, so yeah, I enjoyed them. And, and just the whole, the I guess we, we can call it a costume, but you know that whole look, it was it was different. And I, I enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Two oh six, Cheetah Kid, five nine two thirty ten years pro, high flying African masked man has been compared to many Japanese stars. Famous for his daring leaps to the ringside floor, major talent waiting for a big break. And I don't think he ever got it. It was Rocco Rock. Yeah, I was just going to say, is that Rocco Rock? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, well, Lottie Dottie Dottie, he likes to party. There you go. Yeah, so technically he got his big break made, but just not as a cheetah kid. <laughs> he no, he got it. He got it by it. he got it by looking ridiculous in his pajamas with Johnny Grunt. Right. All right. right. But hey, the promoter was like, no, you don't cheat a kid. You give them what they paid for. (laughs) 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 That works. That works. Oh, Johnny. Um, You don't pay him now or later. You pay him in the moment. (laughs) If you want to hear our opinion on Public Enemy, listen to Reliving the Extreme because there's a lot of Public Enemy material on there. Number 205, DJ Peterson, 6'4", 245, six years pro, teamed with the Trooper to win the AWA Tag Team title in 1990, but has competed little since. A fine blend of science and power, former, former Central States favorite. One of the guys from the dying days of the AWA. They sucked. But wasn't that promotion always dying? Yeah. <laughs> it seemed like it. It seemed like it. After, like, 81... Yeah, <laughs> they had some bright yeah. spots with like Bachwinkle versus Henning and the Midnight Rockers versus uh, Rose and Summers. But other than that, pretty much garbage. Boring. Oh, shit. He tagged him with Owen Hart in uh, New Japan. I knew, he had a, I knew he had a little run in Japan, but I couldn't remember any of the details. And also lost to Axe and Smash on Superstar The Wrestling. Nice claim fame there. I like that Mark's like I like that Mark's like putting in the effort. <laughs> we just fuck yep. around. Like, no, no, like, no, I don't know that fucking guy. Fuck him. And he's like, oh, I'm doing research. <laughs> On the spot research and shit. And I'm just like, fuck that guy. Hope he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. oh god. Oh god. <laughs> well, I mean it 
to me, it's interesting to to see, you know, not necessarily some of these names, but who they were. Yeah. Yeah. Number 204, Tom Brandy. One of your favorites, Archie. Oh, yeah. 6'2", 231, six years pro, one of the top stars in the East Coast independent scene, boasts a powerful drop kick and remarkable scientific skills, has wrestled in AWA and CWA. Go ahead, Archie. I, I, I met Tom Brandy one time, and I didn't know what I know. Like, I, I didn't know what he did that show. He was there as Salvatore Sincere, and he wrestled Jimmy Snuka in a tag team match. And then he was also in the main event, but not as Tom Brandy or Salvatore Sincere. And he was the Patriot that night, and I didn't know he took over the gimmick. He didn't take it over. He stole it. Well, he (laughs) stole it after Del Wicks passed away. But, I mean, I didn't know it was him until he came out to sign autographs. And my my nephew, because it was his birthday, had a Patriot mask. He grabbed it for him, and he signed it. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, what? I'm the Patriot. I'm like, dude, no, you're not. He's like, yeah, I'm the Patriot. I'm like, dude, stop it. You're, you're Johnny Gunn. You're, you're He's like, I'm the Patriot. I'm Sincerely. Damn. It's ruined my life after that. Like, uh, just look at, looking at this stuff, though, it looks like, you know, and I hate to have to use this term, but he was a job guy unless there was uh, another job guy on the card. There was there was a time there was a time in the early to mid nineties where I don't think you could go to an independent show in the Northeast and not see Tom Tom Brandy and versus King Kong Bundy. Right. Like <laughs> and, and, and I know like I like shitting on people, don't get me wrong. <laughs> like when I typed my quote about fucking Conrad Thompson. Mark was like, God damn, he just shot on that guy. You know? <laughs> I said what I felt about him. But well, I mean. honestly think that if Tom Brandy would have been in the WWF in like 1987, <laughs> he would have had a different career. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, like, like I'm not. I, I'm totally not knocking the guy, I, and I'm not. I'm not disrespecting whatever. I think, like, if you would have put that guy, if you would have put like Tom Brandy with like Rick Martell or um, um, Jim Powers or something like that, totally different career. Yeah, but they tried that in WCW. He was with Tom Zink. And that's what and I'm saying. Like, it was a different time. You know, like, he, I, I think my thing was, was he kept disappearing. Like there was never a, like he teamed with Tom Zink and then he disappeared. And then he was Tommy Dreamer's tag team partner in ECW for a couple of months. And I think they won the tag team titles with each other, didn't they? Yep. Like 93, I think, or 92. And then he disappeared again. So I think this guy was a flight risk and just kept taking off from companies when he wasn't <laughs> getting the push he deserved. I think if he would have been, I think if Tom Brandy would have been a decade earlier, it would have been a different story. I really do. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just looking here, and you know, you were like, if they would have put him with uh, Rick Martell instead in '97, 
on Shotgun Saturday night. They put him with someone we recently talked about, Rockabilly versus the head paint. Right. <laughs> right. Could you imagine being at like a Boots and Bourbon and fucking the headbangers come out and here comes fucking Rockabilly and Tom Brandy? <laughs> I just want to hear a Buck Owens song and drink a fucking beer and these schlubs are out here. <laughs> number two, <laughs> number 203, Sam Houston. Archie brought him up earlier. 6'2", 222, eight years pro. Long, lean Texan is currently on the independent circuit. The husband of former ballet baby doll, best known for his crushing version of the bulldog headlock. So here's what I'm going to say. I'll, I'll say my piece on Sam Houston. I like Sam Houston. And I think that if Sam Houston would have been a little bit thicker, he probably would have been a bigger star. He just looks so out of place, especially in the WWF. He was so lanky, and he just never put on the weight. But I thought he had good charisma. He was a he good baby face. He looked like Jake when Jake started. No, but I'm saying in the WWF. Yeah, well, he got there too early. Yeah, like I think, I think he, and and I could be wrong. Don't get me. I, I could be wrong, but I think Jake honestly had like kind of like a savage type situation where if it's like you want to hire me I need to hi- hire these people with me you know what I mean mm-hmm. and uh, <coughs> Sam Houston was a great fucking worker and I've never seen a Sam Houston match where I was just like ah, that fucking sucked like he could sell <laughs> he could work and and, well, and, I, a worker. and it's one of my favorite um, cornet stories ever, where he got heat in the NWA. Do you guys? Do you guys ever hear that? I have. You can. And, and, and it's a fucking great line. He's like, "Fucking Sam Houston and Baby Doll, they're on the plane and they're and they're making out, and, and the guys don't like it, and and Sam's sitting on Baby Doll's lap." <laughs> Like, like she's the bigger one. Like, <laughs> it's so funny that he's like, yeah, yeah. Sam was sitting on Baby Doll's lap. Like it would be usually reversed, but I just, I just thought, I think, I think Sam Houston, I think he suffered from being Jake's brother. Oh, um, I agree. Evidently. Oh, go ahead. No, I, I was just saying I agree. Go ahead. Um, evidently, you know, he, he still got some fight left in him because in November 27, 2021 at WrestleCade, he was in a battle royal and on July 24th, 2021, he defeated Mitch Hurley in a singles match. But this is one that I really hate I missed. It says, uh, the VPW Casino Royale 2015 says he wrestled to a draw with Sid Bodie with Jake the Snake as a referee. That would have been interesting to see. That's interesting. That's an interesting matchup. Yeah. <laughs> but I love the I love fucking Cornette saying that Sam Houston was sitting on Baby Doll's lap. That's so funny. <laughs> Number 202, I like this guy. 
um, watching him on TV and the USWA and the GWF when I was a kid. Billy Joe Travis. Oh, Billy five, Joe was great. 5'10", 218, 11 years pro, longtime USWA competitors on the road these days, recently competed in WWC, had a short stint as a guitar swinging rule breaker, but reverted back to his fine form. Archie, I think that this guy qualifies where where you and I like to talk about John Tatum and Rod Price mm-hmm. as a yep. really good uh, Southern type wrestling heel. Oh yeah, you oh, know, yeah. just like he would do that. He sometimes he would be he would be more flamboyant, but sometimes he would be yeah, the crybaby. Put on like dresses and shit. Like he was good. Yeah, yeah. No, he he had a, a good mix to being a heel, like you mentioned that that. That crying uh, uh, chicken shit heel was was perfect for him, but then he also turned up the heat when he had to, mm-hmm. and that that's in my opinion, that's the true mark of a heel when you can be a heel on different levels and know how to get that heat from the audience no matter what it takes. Yes, you know, like and- for instance, last night on um, or the other night, two nights ago on Dynamite, Christian Cage literally looked in the audience and said, "Jungle Boy thought of me as a father figure." And I guess that's good because his father's dead and the whole crowd went silent. That to me is bad heat. You know yes. what I mean? You shouldn't yeah. mention a guy's dead father. But yeah. when a heel can can shit on the crowd and then get them to boo immediately afterwards, it's like, yeah, that's perfect. You know? And they like you were saying with like a Tatum or whatever, like that's that's the and when I say this, I don't mean like to be disrespectful. Like that was kind of like the level that he was on. Mm-hmm. And and are almost like an Eric Embry. You know I love I, mean? I love Eric Embry yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, but that that's how Billy Joe was, and and he also is the guy that got arrested on fucking television. Yeah, <laughs> for real. WA, like they were like, we gotta take this guy, and Lawler was like, this shit's live. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta run this fucking show. And the cops are like, we got to arrest him. And I was like, well, I guess you're going to arrest him on fucking TV. <laughs> like fucking Billy Joe Travis got arrested on fucking TV. And it was like, and, and, and I like watching like CWA shit. And he was like a highlight of CWA. I really like that guy. I think he's dead now, but I really liked him. Me too. Yeah. yeah he did pass away. He passed away, man. Ten years ago, he's been gone for a while. Um, Two hundred one is going to be a guy I don't know a lot about. Jerry Morrow, I've heard the name. I know that he was kind of a big deal up in in Canada, like with Stampede. But I haven't seen enough of that. Fucking idea who they got. Who do you ever beat? <laughs> seasoned veteran, still tearing things up in Canada. Hails from Martinique in the French West Indies. A former Stampede North American champion. Very brutal. I mean, I, like I said, I've heard looking him up. <laughs> I've, I've heard uh, I've heard Bret Hart bring him up before and and stuff. And I mean, he, holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> he smirked everybody. This guy beat Muda. <laughs> no, uh, actually, I mean, him, and Andre the Giant, him and Andre the Giant went over on Inoki and Tatsumi Fujinami. Jesus. Why are you so high on the list? Guess what, Aaron? <laughs> huh? Guess what, Aaron? What? 
Whether he's looking down from heaven or not, right now, Jerry Murrow's like, yeah, fuck you nobodies who don't know who I am. I team with yeah. Andre the Giant. Get the fuck out of here. I beat a Noki. I beat a Noki. <laughs> well, I can say, Jerry Murrow, I'm standing on top of you. So I well, will. And, and he also uh, tag team with Sam Moody over there in New Japan. Damn. All right, he's better than me. <laughs> <laughs> Number 200 Aaron like, is... Aaron was like, who did he ever beat? And then Mark's like, well, he did beat... <laughs> Antonio Inoki. 200 is Brad Anderson. 6'1", 220. Two years pro. Son of Gene Anderson is now a hated rule breaker. Has competed in WCW and Pacific Northwest. Trained by his father in Nelson Royal. Cut in the Anderson mold. <laughs> you want to hear some funny shit? I do. I always do. All, all the matches they have listed for him, except for one, is a loss. <laughs> and it came 10 years after his last WWF show, and it was on an NWA Wrestling Legends fan fest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's to you. Not really carrying on the Anderson legacy there. That's pretty bad. Number 199, <clears throat> Rochester Roadblock. Fuck that. Huge, huge former IWCCW star is now tearing up Japan, probably Japan's toilets. Famous yeah. for covering his foes with large wooden roadblock, trained at Larry Sharp's Monster Factory. Looks like a melted candle. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, number 198, man. <laughs> hold on, hold no. on, hold on. Hold on. You're just like, he j- does anybody have anything? Out of- he was the, he was the, he was the, he, he, he got, he, first of all, he got, he got introduced into wrestling by jumping the rail during a one man gang match. You said jumping. Okay. Over. Me- uh, meandering, uh, meandering yeah. over a rail. He fell over that motherfucker. <laughs> second. Yeah. Secondly, the interesting he got introduced introduced by falling over the rail. (laughs) He took a bump on the floor from the guardrail. (laughs) Wasn't resting, kid. (laughs) I I was the shock master before anybody knew the shock master was. Oh shit! <laughs> Did he recently get a figure released though? Like uh, one of them knockoff yes. things that they're doing. Yes, <laughs> him the black, uh, the Spanish Angel, and Larry Zabisco. One of my all-time favorites, Larry Zabisco. Yeah, Larry Zabisco. What did Rob? What did Roadblock and Larry Zabisco do together? They got retro figures. They got red, the Hasbro-sized action figures. <laughs> well. The roadblock one is an Hasbro sized. <laughs> right. Right. Quite it's large. A clump of melted. Well, no, it's, you know? it's 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 Hasbro sized, <laughs> but it's the Hasbro like the Yokozuna Hasbro right. size. No, yeah. bigger than that too. My favorite thing that I think I ever saw was on an episode of Monday Nitro, Lex Luger trying to lift him up into the torture rack. And after three tries he just said fuck it and hit him with the bionic yeah. that he did yeah. for like four years. He's like, I have, 
He's like, I have picked up the giant, right. and I can't Why pick up this. I can't pick up this making- Jabba the Hut looking motherfucker. Why are you making this difficult? Just stop putting dead weight on my neck, fat ass. Like he's <laughs> healthy, motherfucker. Yeah. You guys know what? You guys know what the poop emoji looks like, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Rochester Roadblock. It, it, it looks like the poop emoji that is stuck in we can't send this text message so now it's gotten fucking ashy oh god you've never seen an ashy fucking clump of shit oh god like when shit starts turning white and if you kick it it just fucking turns into dust that's fucking roadblock Rochester he's out there listening somewhere and we just lost a listener Yep, I don't want. I don't want him. <laughs> we'll, gain, we'll gain five more for the comment. Right. <laughs> we Look, Lex, now Lex Luger's listening. Right. Well, here I can get rid of him real quick. Never mind. No, <laughs> I'll leave him alone. Talk about. But talk he, about. Oh, go ahead, Archie. No, go ahead. Okay, I was just going to say, talk about opposites. We went from Rochester Roadblock at one ninety nine to one ninety eight. Harley motherfucking race. Yes. Damn. Six six one two sixty eight thirty two years pro. Essentially retired now that he's the new advisor to Lex Luger, but competed just months ago. A seven time NWA world champion on yeah. on a record among the greatest ever. He absolutely is, and should be discussed as being one of the not one of the fucking best god best fucking tough man wrestlers ever, and. I, I think the reason he's on this list is because he was in like a clash of the champions. Isn't, he, isn't this the year that he wrestled? Um, he fought Tommy. He ta- Tommy he Rich. Tommy Rich. Yeah. Yep. And, yeah. And, yeah. Um, his fro was fantastic. Oh, every, every all the time. Like Harley Race, I will fucking fight anybody. That tries to tell me anything disrespectful about Harley Race. I never met the yeah, man, but I fucking love him. And for him to even want to put that belt on Tommy like that, he like that. Was, they said that was his idea. Mm-hmm. You know, and he could see it like we were talking about before with the and, foreshadow, you know, the foresight. Like Jim Ross <laughs> had that. Harley saw that in Tommy, but Tommy just didn't, you know, live up to that. And that uh, you, you know, I I actually have um. I have a lot of Georgia from 79 to like 84 and that 81 Georgia stuff. You can see um, speaking of what you were saying, Mark, like Harley comes in, you know, he, of course he's the NWA champion. So he comes in, he defends against this guy, he defends against that guy, but you can see it, and, and, and people can say what they want about Tommy rich. But in that area, at that time, when you watch those shows, those people, he was like Lawler in Memphis, man. Like, people fucking loved Tommy Rich in that Georgia territory. And like you said, Harley saw that. He was like, let's give this kid a chance. And then it was eight eight days, but (laughs) it was a chance nonetheless. That's the only time he fucking did it. Like, he'd just go into a fucking territory and be like, I'm going to drop the belt tonight. I'll drop the belt. And... Other guys would be like, "Are you sure about it?" It's like, "What the fuck are they gonna do?" I'm fucking Harley Race. Like, <laughs> he he would say, "If I hit a man with my right hand and he doesn't fall down, I'm gonna walk around to the left side 
to see what wall is holding him up. <laughs> and he was the absolute, in my opinion, and like I said, I've never, I never met the guy and I obviously never will because he's gone now. But in my opinion of all of the stories I've ever heard, he is one of the three top baddest ass human beings ever. Oh, definitely. The goddamn earth. It's like, it's like him fucking Freddie Blassie and Wahoo McDaniel. Those are the three baddest ass some bitches and Haku and Haku, but Haku's still around. So, so he's now the baddest ass some bitch walking, but, but I guarantee if you went up and walked, if you walked up to Haku right now and said, Hey, you want to fight Harley race? He'd be like, Nope. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely not. Fucking Harley it's, Race is. It's funny though because you're like the way you're talking about him. I think of like there's a John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, and you know Rambo of damn wrestling. <laughs> like just those bad motherfuckers that you want right. To I agree. Be around. But yeah, don't don't nobody try to fucking tell me nothing negative about fucking Harley Race. That dude was the fucking man. Number 197. This guy's well done. Rex King. 5'11", <laughs> 240, four years pro. Upbeat scientific star is rising force in the tag, te- tag team division. King and Steve Dahl held the Pacific Northwest titles twice and the USWA tag team title. Of course, he's going to become uh, Timothy Well of Well Done. Um, they were a good tag team. I mean... I liked them, you know. I thought they were serviceable. They weren't great. They were never going to be champions. And he did the duck face before it was called the fucking duck face. (laughs) (laughs) Truth. Truth. (laughs) Honestly, um, this might be a, a... This might be a stupid statement. But by the time they got there in 90... Like, like we don't want to talk... I know we're talking about like in the time, but yes. when they became well done, because you were talking about that, you know, they kind of became once they got there in the WWF, you know what I would um, compare them to okay. the Orient Express. They were not going to be chance, yeah. but they were going to go out and have a great match. No matter yeah. who you put They're them in. They're never yeah. going to have yeah. a match. And they're never going to be your champs, but they're going to be the team that you can pair with anybody. Yeah, you put them out there. Okay, these guys like we're gonna we're gonna partner them with the Smoking Guns because the Smoking Guns are going to be our champions. So we're going to give them two or three matches on TV, and it's not going to be offensive. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. They were the Pat Nakan fucking. Um, Paul Diamond of their locker room, right? And we never heard. I mean, I know, I know, I've never personally heard anyone say in a shoot interview or a regular interview or whatever those guys were dangerous to work with. They hurt this one. They did that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They were perfect workers for that time period in the WWE to be put in there with 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 any tag team, you know, the Steiner brothers, the Head Shrinkers. It didn't matter, and give them a good match. The you know, they were enhancement talent. 
Right. Yeah. Right. Good little carpenter. Number 196, Tommy Jammer. 5'11", 245, three years pro. Has honed his rapidly developing skills in the PWA and AWA. Handsome looks have made him a favorite among female fans. Known as the California Kid. I don't know a lot about Tommy Jammer. Never heard of him. Fuck I think him. he's a little low on the list. Good. We'll move on then. <laughs> <laughs> well, Remember, I mean, evidently in 90, he lost to Tully Blanchard at the AWA Superclass. As he should be. As he should. <laughs> Tully Blanchard was like, I ain't putting that guy over. He's losing tonight. Yeah, who the fuck is Tommy Jammer? We talked about this fellow a little while ago. When 195, 1991, ladies and gentlemen, Johnny Ace. 6'3", oh. 255 years pro, now a major force in Japan, began his career as a flag bearer for the Sheep Herders, formed the Dynamic Dudes with Shane Douglas in 1989, fearless aerial wrestler. You know, you can say what you want about John Laurinaitis. <clears throat> he was he was over great in Japan. Wrestler. Yeah, he was he's over in Japan. Yeah. Like, like he, he's a fucking idiot, but he was a great <laughs> <one>. <laughs> out, out of all that, all Archie Mitchell heard was Shane Douglas. Yes. Because it, is <laughs> it is a crime in Shane Douglas' career that he had to become a dynamic dude. It's a, it's a crime. It's a crime in John. Well, it's a crime in Johnny Ace's career. He had to be a dynamic dude. That whole gimmick no, was the that, shit. That too, but he looked like he enjoyed it. Johnny Ace actually, like, take away the fact that he's a fucking moron, is or was not anymore now because his fucking knees are halitosis or whatever. But he he was fucking good. Like he created the cutter. Yeah. The yeah, like he he invented it, and and um, is was actually a really like good fucking wrestler. Like that guy had psychology and could fucking work. I can't I can't find I can find holes in his business aspect and getting people over, but I can't find a hole in his fucking game as a wrestler. Yeah, and the the, <clears throat> the dynamic dudes was a shitty gimmick, but they had good matches. Yeah, that's what I'm you saying. Know? Like like between the ropes, fucking great. Well, I mean in nineteen ninety obviously NWA had some foresight that they put Mark Callis over on him. <laughs> Even they saw that, that there was no denying that Undertaker was going to be a fucking star. Take her beat. Take her beat. Uh, take her beat. The future talent, ta- uh, head of talent relations. There. <laughs> I wonder how that meeting was ever. Well, technically, good. technically, Taker went into the WWF before Johnny Ace did. Way so before I think he when did. Johnny when Johnny got promoted. Taker was like, just remember, I whipped your ass back in the in the early nineties, <laughs> and that's like I said, I'm not talking about anything like after that. What we're talking about, I'm just saying, in ring, there's nothing wrong with with John Laronitis in the ring. 
Mm-hmm. Well, in the nineties in all Japan, it's showing you know that he worked. You know, he was tag teaming with like Steve Williams, Doug Furness, Kenta Kobashi, and all that. Yeah, he was definitely, and he was super over with that Japanese crowd, too. Definitely. Yeah, he was one of their bigger gaijin, uh, uh, you know, things that the guys that they would bring in, you know, mm-hmm. when they, you know, he was in there with the guys were coming in like Vader and Bam Bam, you yeah. know what I mean? So he was definitely a big draw for them. That's why I tried saying, like, earlier, that fucking Laronitis family, they're, people talk about wrestling families and shit. The Laronitis family doesn't get talked about enough. Number 194, The Soul Taker. 6'6", 340, two years pro, huge rule breaker from the docks of New Jersey, is a rising star, famous not only for his immense size, but for the mohawk haircut and tattoos, now in GWF following a Japan tour, and we all know who The Soul Taker is. Charles Wright. Everybody's favorite film. Yep. Yeah, the, the Soul Taker was definitely one of his. I mean, it was an unpolished gimmick, but I mean, that was, I think, the catalyst for him becoming Papa Shango. Papa you know Shango I mean? was fucking awesome. Papa yeah, Shango, Papa Shango was great. Some of the 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 problem with the Papa Shango it was, gimmick it was four years ahead. Right. I, I was going to say the problem with the Papa Shango gimmick was they made the mistake of making it too cartoony instead of right. instead of menacing. You know the 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 ultimate warrior black goo bullshit and well, all see, that, but the gimmick itself is fantastic. I I agree, but I mean it started off more dark and ominous because he was lighting his opponent's feet on fire. You know what I mean? He was doing things to, but it was the warrior that kind of made it like, why? Fuck, what are we doing here? Go you figure. know what I mean? This this so. might be dumb. This might be a dumb analogy and you guys can tell me if it if it is but he should have that Papa Shango character should have been the Kamala gimmick of that era oh uh, to a certain extent yeah of that the faces were like ooh this guy, like the commentators and the faces and all that shit, should have been fucking terrified of it. I think he needed a, if he would have maybe had like a, a Paul Bear with him as a manager and then not let him speak, it might have been a little bit better and darker. You know what I mean? And then you, you got The Undertaker who does his crazy shit and his, you know, dark magic. And then you've got the master of dark magic, the voodoo man. You know what I mean? But then they just saddled him with Sid, Sid Vicious, Sid Justice, and the Ultimate Warrior destroyed him. So, yeah, you know. And he went on. And again, we're not talking about his future. We're talking about it this time. Uh, but he did go on to, you know, do great things in the business. And he's a he's a fun guy. Yeah. And he's a great, oh, yeah. great and performer. He's, he's a great example of, and I know a lot of people hate him, but he's a great example of the Vince Russo era of just let this guy be himself. Right. And one of the best, one of the best social media videos ever is, is when he's in pop, the Papa Shango gear. Then he puts the, he takes the hit of the bong and he's got the thing <laughs> in his head. Yeah. And he takes it off and then he's the Godfather. It's like, that's it's fucking, fucking amazing. That's amazing. Yep. <laughs> yep. I, I heard recently. Oh, go ahead, go ahead Mark. 
Go ahead, Mark. Go ahead. You said, you said that uh, Soul Taker was probably like the precursor to being Papa Shango, right? Right. Well, another one of the ring names he has right here is the Pimp Papa. So evidently that okay. one was the precursor to the God Papa. Right. right. I mean, he's a, he's, he's around. I don't know what's going on. They went with the godfather because the father wasn't politically correct. Right, right. <laughs> but he's Number like one. supposedly one of the most approachable guys at like meet and greets. A buddy of mine met him a couple of months ago, and he was in Godfather gimmick. And his, my buddy's like, "Man, I would have loved to have, like took a picture with you as Papa Shango." And he's like, "Well, give me five minutes." He walked in the back, put on the makeup, came back out. And he's like, "Okay, let's go." Yeah, you know, he didn't have to. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, number one ninety three, Tommy Rogers. Oh, Ooh, five five nine, two twenty two, eleven years pro. Now competing mainly in Japan. Teamed with Bobby Fulton to form the Fantastics, one of the finest duos of the eighties. Tandem held the WCW US Tag Titles twice in nineteen eighty eight. I have talked forever about fucking Tommy Rogers. That fucking dude was one of the best fucking workers that ever graced our goddamn green earth. He was fucking great. That, like, I'll let you guys talk about it, but fucking Tommy Rogers is one of the best fucking workers I've ever seen in my entire life. And you know what's the real, and, and, and Mark, we your show talks about the indie scene, but what is the real indication of a, of a veteran who is who loves the business and loves what they do loves the fans and is a great worker is no matter what size the audience no matter where they're at and I'm, I'm getting to a point Aaron and I we live in a small town in Ohio that they can't swing a cat without hitting the sister fucker or blah 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 but <laughs> the Tommy Rogers, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Aaron, I think he fought Tommy Rich on that card. But we yeah. went to a show at an armory, and we were probably two of 50 people that were there. And Tommy Rogers and Tommy Rich put on a clinic in front of 50 people in Podunk, Ohio. They could have very easily been like a lot of legends that come to shows and just called it in, did like a two-minute thing where it was all stalling or whatever. But no, they went out there and they put on a 15-minute classic. And so much respect for Tommy. Tommy Rogers is one of the greatest fucking workers that's ever... Like like I said, I'm repeating myself, but he's one of the greatest workers that's ever existed. Like, that guy is... And was, because he's gone now, but he was fucking fantastic. Like, and, and he was a, he was in the Fantastics. I'm not even trying to, like I said that, not even trying to be, like, cliche, like, cliche with it. Like, that guy was fucking great. Like, he was a great fucking worker. He's... One of those guys, like, he's on, like, a um, Chris Candido, Chris Benoit, Eddie Guerrero level for me. 
Like, I'm actually happy that we brought him up because I don't think that he gets enough praise for how fucking good he was. Like, that dude... Master of the craft. Master of the craft. A different type of master of the craft at 192. And that's not being negative. I'm being totally positive here. I'm actually reading reading the book about him right now. The Sheik. 5'11", 247, at this point, 39 years pro. A true legend that ke- just keeps going. The most feared man in the sport from his 1952 ta- de- debut through the early 70s. Hurls fire, bites, and draws quarts of blood. For that style of wrestling... Yeah, he's, he's the antithesis of Tommy Rogers. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not the greatest worker in the world, obviously, because he's not. But he lived his fucking gimmick and got that shit over. And people in that fucking territory were like, this guy's fucking crazy. Um, wow. He had longevity in the business also. To be in it that damn long, that's these leaps and bounds in itself. Oh, definitely. definitely. And not to mention, you you know, there's a lot of quote unquote garbage wrestling, like as far as hardcore wrestling goes. The Sheik kind of sort of started it, but here's the thing: I if you watch if you watch garbage wrestling, you watch two idiots spend 20 minutes putting themselves through light tubes and put staples in their head and showing me that they really don't have any talent. I, and I'm not, I don't know. I guess I am shitting on it. It, it, it. I guess it takes a pain threshold, but to me it doesn't take any talent to just go out there and look like a, punch, a couple of dumps in the ring getting stapled and put through fire. What the Sheik did though, everything was selective and everything had a point. In his matches, like if he was gonna, if he was gonna throw the fire, if he wasn't gonna throw the fire every night. He was gonna throw the fire when it was important. Yeah, right. He I was will, gonna. I will. He wasn't fucking. Um, sorry, she didn't mean to step on you. No, 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 no. Go ahead. I'm just saying, like, the Sheik wasn't um, this effy guy that I looked up, <laughs> and he wasn't. I looked up Effie. I'm like, really, guys? You want me to fucking put over Effie? I'm not going to do it. And he wasn't fucking... um, Nick Gage? Nick Gage. And he wasn't all uh, fucking Danzig and all these fucking stupid fucks. Like, he had psychology to it. And that's what kind of Nate was saying. Like, like he, he, he pulls the snake out when it's important or the fireball when it's important it wasn't just like oh i'm gonna fall through fucking goddamn light tubes um well i will disagree with you there because there is a match between sabu and the sheik versus onetta in fmw where they lit the whole damn ring on fire and almost died and that was fucking awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but they almost died. You, they literally said they began to feel their flesh burning and they smelled it cooking. So that was just for the sake of going, oh shit, we're going to go off tonight. You know what I mean? But, but at the same time, his career. 
you got those you got those three motherfuckers and everybody knows these motherfuckers are out of their mind crazy anyways. So how can we how can we add that shock value? Fuck it, let's set the ring on fire. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Remind me never to be in a wrestling match with Mark because he might just set the ring on fire. <laughs> Number one ninety one. Number one ninety one. Destruction six three two fifty five. Three years pro. Former uh, forms black hearts with fellow mask man apocalypse. For large men can perform incredible aerial maneuvers managed by Luna Bashan. Increasingly sadistic. We already kind of covered it all with with this partner David, earlier. David Heath, right? Yes. One ninety. Gangrel was really good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Gangrel, Vampire Warrior on the in the Indies when he wasn't in the, uh, you know, in the Black Hearts. He had a good career. Number one ninety, Joe Savoldi, six year or six oh, foot two twenty, eleven years pro, second generation star as an IWCCW mainstay, a three time ICW champion. Jumpin' Joe is as is as athletic as they come, a career scientific wrestler. Ah, uh, the Savoldis and they're IWCCW. They were trash. <laughs> Never heard of them. I can't, I can't give a comment. Eh, you, didn't, you, you didn't miss like, much. The physique um, is, is impressive, but like, I'm assuming the in-ring work didn't complement that. They were... The Savoldis are funny because it was a very, very, very early um, Relive in the Extreme where um, Tommy Dreamer worked a match and people in the crowd were like, go back to the Savoldi's, you fat fuck. That's what they (laughs) called it, Tommy Dreamer. Number 189, Jerry Sags. 6'3", 275 years pro. A member of the WWF World Tag Team Champions, the Nasty Boys with Brian Knobs. Sags and Knobs have been friends since boyhood. Held his own with the Steiners. I will fight anyone who shits on the Nasty Boys. Yeah, I love. I like. I love their whole fucking shtick with the whole pity city and all that. Like, and they were yeah. badass, man. Like, say what you want about them, whatever. You know, they were party animals and blah blah blah. Those guys, they they were those guys that <clears throat> if you asked them. If you told them, yeah, you're gonna have a match with the Bushwhackers, have a good have a good ten minutes. They weren't gonna put in a bunch of effort. They were gonna give you what they were gonna give you, and that was it. But if you said we need a a hot, hard, hard hitting tag team title match tonight, they were gonna give you that too. Like and and, and that oh, sorry, Nate. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say that's what I was gonna say about Jerry is that um, I'd put those guys as the same thing you were saying with um, if you tell Jerry Sags we're going to have a good match alright um, with Jerry Sags it was almost like the Hart Foundation not saying they're as, as great of a team as the Hart Foundation but Jerry Sags was the fucking worker of that team. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, like 
and I, and and I'm not knocking Jim Neidhart either in this, but if you would tell me who's the better worker out of Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart, it's Bret, you know. But who's the most entertaining? Fucking Jim Neidhart, and that's how I look at the Nasty Boys, like. Jerry Sags was the Bret Hart of the Nasty Boys. Like, that was the... He was the fucking worker of it. Like, he was the guy doing the fucking elbow off... He was the guy that when Dusty was like, Bibbit! He was the guy doing the fucking... And Brian and Brian Nobbs was the guy that was gonna let Cactus hit him in the head with a snow shovel. Yeah. And, and, and the fucking Nasty Boys... They're a great fucking tag team. Mm-hmm. I, I I will, like you said, I'll fight on a fucking hill of telling me that the fucking nasty boys weren't a great fucking tag team. And That's why I'm saying anything? They have they have one of the greatest tag. <laughs> they have one of my favorite tag team matches of all time. <laughs> what did she say? She said That's, That's why, why I'm not saying anything. That's why I'm not saying anything. One of my favorite tag team matches of all time. Is the Nasty Boys versus the Steiners at Halloween Havoc ninety? Yeah, okay, that, that's a great that's fucking where I match. Agree. And I that's love I the fucking match with the Nasty Boys versus Cactus Jack and Kevin Sullivan from that mm-hmm. Spring Stampede. That's fucking amazing. Right. <laughs> that's that Sorry. might be that might be my favorite WCW pay per view, honestly. Oh, that Spring Stampede '94 is the greatest stuff. It is. It's you fucking have. amazing. For, there's not. There's nothing bad on it. Like you watch the <laughs> whole thing and you're like, "There's no, how is this promotion so shitty and this pay per view so good?" <laughs> I will agree with you both. Their early time in WCW when they were battling the Steiners and all the rest of the tag teams on that roster were fantastic. Their early time in the WWF with Jimmy Hart were great. I enjoyed them then as well. And yes, their feud with Cactus and Kevin Sullivan, and then Cactus and Max Payne. I mean, that I know, Broad Street Bully match was I, incredible. I know, where, I know where you're going with this, Archie, and we're going to agree. Go ahead. And I'm I'm not shitting on them. I'm really not. I, I, I did enjoy them. As they got later in their career, they relied on the gimmick too much. You know, okay, well, the pit stop. No, know, what the, I, and, and that's what I was going to say, is yes, later in their career, when Hogan was... Um, <coughs> Let's not let's not fucking beat around no, the I bush. Even, I didn't even when 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 that, Hogan yeah. when Hogan was the man running WCW, yeah, and they were allowed to be fat and lazy. They got fat and lazy. Let's be right. honest, but right. yeah, uh, th- and that that's the thing. Before that, before like ninety oh, six, they were one of the best tag teams possible. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I agree, Jerry Sags was the workhorse of the team, and Brian did what he had to do and took most of the bumps. But as they got older on in life, what I give to guess happens to guys when they've been in the ring that long. It just like the allure left them, and they were just like, "Okay, it's the Nasty Boys, and they're fighting Public Enemy again for the forty-seventh time." You know what I mean? Yeah. So, all right, we have about fifteen minutes left left in our ninety minutes that we do here. So let's see how far we get. Hey, we're almost to the color pages. Anybody that's ever read it. <laughs> Now, not the colored pages, the color pages. And not with crayons, either. Number 188. Oof. Al Madrill. 
Didn't we mention him a little while ago? He was really yeah, tired. Marcus Silverman. Six one two. He looks like Ron Jeremy. Six one two thirty one. Nineteen years pro. Host Fiesta Garden interviews on the weekly Portland wrestling program has become increasingly sadistic of late. Hurls fire with callous disregard. I'm one of the few people that I know of that actually enjoys watching world class, I guess. But one of the lowlights for world class of me is I never <laughs> understood Al Madrill. I never, I never understood him. Like he just, I love. You're like, I love world class championship wrestling. One of the low. (laughs) I just never got the guy. He just doesn't appeal to me at all. Very, like, it's like he's a star, but he's generic. I don't even know how to describe it. Yeah, I recently watched an interview with him where he got in in Carrie Von Eric's face, and I just wasn't buying the promo. You know what I mean? Like, Carrie's sitting there being Carrie Von Eric, the Texas Tornado. The, the son of, 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 you know, Fritz. And this guy is yelling, I'm like, why is there a fan in the crowd? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else got anything on that jabron before we move on? <laughs> Let him eat it. <laughs> Number 187, not a jabroni, Mitsuhara Misawa. 5'11", oh, 228, 11 years pro, fast becoming a legend in all Japan wrestling, has held too many titles to list here, purely scientific with an amazing array of holds. Now, I have to say, I am one of those guys. Awesome trunks. Yeah, well, but I am one of those guys that's like MJF, in that I see all these guys on the internet talking about New Japan wrestling, and I'm like, you pretend you watch Japanese wrestling because you think it makes you smart. I've watched a lot of Misawa. That man was one of the greatest pro wrestlers to ever walk the earth. Like, innovative, hard-hitting. Like, I've never watched him. He's And and Aaron, don't say it's blasphemy, because I don't think it is. I think as far as that, that... um, Japanese wrestling, all right? I'm talking Japanese wrestling. He's in the the vein of Harley Race. Yeah, and and, and I'm not going to tell you that. that, Oh, shut up. I'm not going to tell you that. He's in that vein, and he's in, like, the style of what he did is, like, a Dynamite Kid or Chris Benoit type just hard hitting fucking style. Mm-hmm. Like that dude fucking brought it. And his um his German suplex made me cringe because it looked mm-hmm. so real like he was dropping people on his on their head. And I think the first and only time for a while I saw someone do a deadlift brain buster like from the ground up lift up. Like this dude doesn't ha- doesn't look this powerful but my God. And think you know about I mean? the yeah, and think about the talent it took. Think about how much talent you have as a wrestler. Like you just said, Archie, like, wow, that looked cruel. That looked brutal. That looked at, he never hurt right. anybody. He never, he never hurt, hurt anybody. anybody. He got hurt. Yeah, yeah. he's like right. Brett. He's like Bret Hart, you know? It took a toll on his body because it says that his cause of death was spinal damage. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that had, you know, something to play into that. Like the true, the true art of professional wrestling is to make people 
believe that they're hurting somebody else. Correct? Mm-hmm. And, and he did that. Like, when you watched him and you saw him drop somebody on their fucking neck, you were like, God damn. That was fuck. Like, that shit looked legit. Mm-hmm. And his opponent, and all his opponent probably needed that night was a nice shower. Yeah. Right. And, that, and, that, and that's why I put him on the same level as, like Nate said, Bret Hart. And, um, I know we're not supposed to talk about him, but Chris Benoit mm-hmm. and fucking Dynamite and um, those type of people, you know, it's like he's he's he, he was a fucking master. In my opinion, I agree. And he took Japanese wrestling to another level, not just in the ring, but out of it, because if it wasn't for him, uh New Japan and all Japan would have monopolized Japanese wrestling, and he brought Noah in. You know what I mean? That was mm-hmm. his company, and other wrestlers got a chance. Like you know how we always say, "Well, when WCW died, Vince McMahon monopolized the wrestling companies." Well, that's basically what Japan was doing too. So when he opened Noah, it gave young guys who weren't getting a chance in those other companies a chance to actually have a place to wrestle. Yes. So. Um. Number 186 is a second-generation star that I will say is uh, much like Eric Watts. One of these things is not like the other. Mm-hmm. The son was not even remotely San close to the father. Hey, it's David Sammartino. <laughs> How did I 5'10", 225, 11 years pro. Son of legendary two-time former WWF world champion Bruno Sammartino. <laughs> Has shed many pounds during hey, the past hey, two hey, years. Hey, 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 hey. Read it yep. again. Read it again. I know where you're going. Yeah, Son of legendary it. two-time former WWF world champion. Two times. <laughs> Thank you, Roddy Piper. And you guys know when Piper was on fucking TNT? Sorry, I'm burping. But you guys remember when Piper was on fucking TNT and he was feuding with fucking Bruno and they were like, what do you think about Bruno San Martino? And he's like, oh, two times, two times. And he had his fucking nose and his fucking ears and he made him, he he basically like insinuated that fucking Bruno was a fucking mongoloid. It was so fucking funny. <laughs> now, well, I, you know, two times, two times. It's one of the funniest fucking things I've ever seen in my life. I have a question. Yeah. Everybody remembers David San Martino on the first WrestleMania. He yeah. legit looked like a meatball. Then he showed up in WCW on Nitro one night as this muscular blonde dude. What the hell happened? Steroids. Steroids or did, did Bruno Salamango <laughs> give me some tape? I don't know. He just answered it. Twenty years <laughs> later in a total he didn't even look like the same guy. I was like, that's not Bruno Sammartino's son. That ain't David. But that's some big fucking shoes to feel though. Oh like, definitely. But that you know what I'm saying? Like that's what a lot of the problem too with you know the generations up and coming from you know, their dads and stuff being so great. 
you got right. to live up to that. You know, and, yeah, and it, it's true. And and there's like the there's like the flip side too. Like David San Martino, Bruno, Bruno was Bruno, David was right. But let's be honest, and, and as much as I love his dad, Randy Orton is one of miles ahead. He is. I, I'm going to go on a bold. I'm going to go on a bold statement here, and this is something I've thought about really hard. Randy's his dad. Yes, I'm. I'm going to say this now. It's kind of a spoiler for come January, but for this year's We Can't Wrestle Podcast Hall of Fame, I'm nominating Randy Orton. Randy Orton. Randy Orton has had a 20 year career, and I'll. And we keep saying this tonight. I'll fight somebody, but I'll fight somebody on the fact that. <laughs> Honest to God, in the history of professional wrestling, Randy Orton is in the top fifteen pro wrestlers of all time. And and yeah, I love Bob, I love Bob Orton, but I wouldn't even put Bob in my top fifty. You know, yeah, Randy, well, right. Randy Orton. Uh, we shouldn't talk about Randy Orton. We shouldn't. We're talking about ninety one. But, um, but fucking Randy Orton is the greatest worker of his fucking generation. Oh, hands down. Without hands down. Without a doubt. Fucking psychology, um, body movement, every, like everything that he fucking, like reaction, everything that he fucking does. Randy Orton's the best. Like, out of, that, out of that whole OVW crowd. I was just about to say that. I was just about it. He came in with three, and I know, look, Batista was Batista, Brock Lesnar is still Brock Lesnar, and John Cena is one of the best. But I love they Brock were three Lesnar. lead heads. I like Brock they were Lesnar. three lead heads when they came in, though. And Orton was this young kid who oh. kept getting injured, and then all of a sudden, boomed. Of of you their generation, I mean? of their generation, Randy Orton is is Randy Savage to John Cena's Hulk Hogan. Oh, There's definitely. no doubt. He's, he's definitely. fantastic. Like, um, all right, Dr. I'll give it. David. I'll leave it up to you guys as we round out the show. Are we doing three more or four more? Let's go four. I've missed a couple of episodes. Do four. All right, four more. Number one eighty-five. A guy I am a huge mark for, as Aaron knows. He hasn't got his his WWF run or his WWF name yet. But in this top 500, he is number 185, and he is still wrestling as Chris Chavis. Tataka. Tataka. 6'1", 260, two years pro, impressive second-year man, has amassed a loyal following in the South Atlantic area, a former SAPW champion known as War Eagle because of his Indian heritage. Tataka, one of the underrated stars of his Definitely. era. Definitely. Should have been a tag team championship with, champion with Bam Bam. And should have won the won the Intercontinental title at least once. I, I agree. agree. He was the Savio yeah. of ninety two. And and his heel his heel turn, and we've talked about it before. His it's heel turn his heel turn really could have worked in ninety four if they would have done it the way they should have done it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um lose every aspect of him being a proud Native American. He should have had black hair. He should have owned. A, he should have owned a casino, <laughs> and you know what I mean. Like if they just would have and, and get rid of the yee, 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 music and all that. Just if because 
he could do it. He had the he had the ability to he, do it. He only came out in a suit one time after he joined the Million Dollar Man's Corporation. That should have been he should have came out in a suit every week. Mm-hmm. You know, like the Million Dollar Man did. He should have been the grooming for the next Million Dollar Man, in my opinion, because you had him calling out Lex Luger the whole time. Luger finally says it's not him. He turns on Luger, and then it was a popcorn fart. You know what I mean? It was yeah. nothing interesting after that. But about you know. uh, it, 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 I know I took it. I took it to the future. But focusing on this time, I would say he was probably one of the best young workers in the business at the time. Oh, definitely. And um, and obviously, I didn't see a lot of his independent South Atlantic stuff. But when he came into the WWF, man, I was totally into Tatanka. Yeah. Yeah, his matches. They booked him right. His matches with Sean and Martel. His matches with Martel were fucking great. Like Chris Chavez was a hell of a worker and looked the part. Like he, like I don't know if that sounds stupid, but he looked the fucking part. Mm -hmm. He was built, and he did not look. It's like he, did, he like like he didn't belong in the fucking business. Uh, he looked like a fucking wrestler. Uh, yeah, I was he about to say, and I I bring him up on our I bring him up on our show a lot because I love him. Cornette, Cornette would say he looked like a grown ass man. Yeah, you know, right. Tataka could fuck me up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like if I would if I walked into a bar. And Tatanka was in there, be like, yeah, I'll buy that guy a drink because I don't want him to fucking chop me in the fucking yeah. head. <laughs> Number one eighty four, and this is by his own by his own hand because of his problems, his own self demons and everything. I describe this man as one of the greatest that never became one of the greatest. Number 184 is Buddy Landell. Oh, six foot, yeah. foot, 236, 11 years pro at this time. Uh, The other nature boy. Blonde Rule Breaker is a wrestling vagabond, has competed in WCW, Global, IWCCW, and Tri-State in the last five months alone. Buddy Landell is one of the greatest heels in the history of wrestling that... he didn't get his fair shake, not because it wasn't fair, but because Buddy could never get stay straight. He could never get out yeah. of his own way. That guy yeah, but, was magic. He was magic. They, Nate, when they finally brought him into the WWF and he was being billed as the nature boy, Buddy Landell, and he had the robe, and he was pulling Flair-esque moves and shit, a few months later, they brought Flair in. So what do you do with that? You know what I mean? Like, of course he's going to go drink or, or do something yeah, bad. Yeah, but honestly, by you that know? point, by that point in his career, I'll be honest, Budro was in his own way. No, he was, I know, but they they were desperate for talent, and you know, we it's the legendary we we named the episode when we covered that in your house, the Buddy Rondell episode, because mm-hmm. that that fucking lousy ass ring announcer introduces him by the wrong name. Right. But I'm just I'm referring to Buddy Landell. In the territories and in 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 Memphis right. and in you know, God, that guy was he was so he was like um um he was like Eddie Gilbert. He was so good, but yeah. he couldn't get out of get out of his own way. 
Nate, I'm going to say this. And like I said, you, you talked about him. He was the, he was the Eric Embry of that type of situation. And I'm not saying Eric Embry didn't get out of his own way, but that fucking dude should have been a bigger star than he was, than he was. Mm -hmm. But in his case, it's his fault. it, It is. And he should have been like when he came out of the fucking shoot, he shouldn't have been the graduate with Shane Douglas. He should have been the guy that was presenting Shane Douglas. Mm-hmm. Does that yeah, make sense? Good point. good point. Like, he should have been bigger. He should, like, Buddy Landell should have been a bigger star than what he was. And, and, and we talked about Tommy Rogers later. Like, it, it's a different style and it's a different move set and work rate. But fucking Buddy Landell should have been, a, I said it, a bigger star than what he was. Like, he was, he, he looked like shit, but he should have been, like I said, bigger than he was. I'm sorry. No, I agree. Number 183, the Equalizer. <laughs> Evan Sullivan. 6'3", 250, one-year pro, rugged war-painted newcomer, burst upon the Pacific Northwest scene in 1990. Used to bring a trash can to the ring, but has calmed down. Recently traveled to Japan. I was never a fan of Evad, Dave, nope. the Equalizer, whatever you want to call him. I never a so. fan. Might be a perfectly nice gentleman, but in yep, the right. ring, on TV, didn't like the Equalizer. I the only thing I got to say about him is, is he looked like he might have something to do with the conception of the Godwins. <laughs> <laughs> Is he dead? I don't know. No, I don't think he's dead. I do know that one of the most awkward tag teams I've ever seen is watching WCW Saturday Night in 1993. There's a match where he teams with Rick Rude. And I was like, could you put two more opposite <laughs> examples? Of right. Yeah. Rick Rude? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He did. Yeah. Yeah. That's, they had they had them paired up for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I hope Equalizer's dead. Oh God, Jesus not. Christ, he's not. It doesn't say cause of death. And the thing that the only thing that when I scroll through here that even sounds appealing is the fact that he on the Great American Bash '95 he, he beats DDP in the arm wrestle. They had a rabbit. Do you remember that shit mm-hmm. with fucking DDP and Equalizer? They had a rabbit. Yep. Yeah. Did he want a date with Kimberly for winning that arm wrestling match? And then DDP uh, showed up and beat the crap out of him. Was that when yeah. he was using the I wanna be a Hulkamania? Yep. Yep. <laughs> if they pulled that came out, in. good for them. Because, I mean, 
honestly, if I could listen to like some Spotify with I want to be a Hulkamaniac and Kimberly Bacon was like, oh, I'll just fuck you then. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm down with that. Because <laughs> you're brunette and you have big tits. And I kind of want to do that. Okay. I'll get. <laughs> I'll get... <laughs> but I don't want I don't want Evad I don't want Evad to watch. I'll get cuckolded by the Hulkamania. I want to be a Hulkamaniac music. That's fine. Yeah, like if, if Evad has to has to watch, I'm down with it. He's got his he's got his rabbit and his backwards hat in the corner of the room. Anyway, but you're Christ. wearing the Hulkamania. Wearing the boots. Welcome, welcome to Thunderdome, Mark. This is what we do. If if Kimberly Bacon was like, "Hey, Evad is gonna strangle a fucking rabbit," <laughs> well, oh we bang in the corner. I'm like, cool. Just don't make eye contact, Evad. Hang on, right. Sumper. Don't look me in the eye. Just, just don't, don't make eye the... contact. No eye contact. No eye contact. No, no eye contact. Because if 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 we don't make if we don't make eye contact and our and our um, tips don't touch, it's gonna be okay. Because I want to do this. <laughs> We need to change the name of this show. It'll be over. It'll be things. over in seventy-five seconds. It's fine. No, no, no. Yeah, no. We, yeah it will. No, no, no. The whole show <laughs> needs to be changed to roasting DWI five hundred. Because we ain't said a good thing about pretty much anybody on this list. Maybe five people. <laughs> and I'm just gonna be like, I'm gonna look at Evad and be like, I wanted to be a Hulkamaniac too, but. Hmm. Didn't have him, brother. Forgot to take my blue vitamins today. Yeah. Sucks to be you. (laughs) All right, guys, you said four more. This is number four. (laughs) Did I just try to keep it? They try to keep it all professional. Time to put a bow on this train wreck. (laughs) Did I just troll off into another something that we didn't want to talk about? We do that that every time. It's not a big deal. Kimberly Bacon (laughs) is hot. Go ahead. All right. Last but certainly certainly not least on this week's edition of the show, number 182, it's not the one you're going to think of when I initially say the name, Steve Regal. But not Steven Regal. That's definitely not. That's... um, it's the boring Steve Regal. A W A Six foot blonde haired Gene Simmons looking one. I hate that yeah, guy. Mr. Mr. Electricity that. Steve Regal, right? Six foot 205, 14 years pro, a great AWA wrestler, held the light heavyweight title on two occasions and captured the world tag team title with Jim Garvin, long known as Mr. Electricity. I don't mean to be detrimental to anybody that's a fan of the guy. I'm not a fan of this Steve Regal. He was jail cell. He was jail cell 
friend with um, Batsumov, right? I don't know about that. Was he? Was he a pedo? Mark, can we? Is that in his bio? There's your gimmick, Mark. Your Mark, yeah. Mister Research Brew. There's your gimmick. I think he teamed with Batsumov. Oh. I thought you meant he was like like there was a conviction of some sort. <laughs> I'm like, oh no, I, I didn't. With the guy. Are, are we making Mark the Mike Tanay of the Weekend Wrestle Podcast? No, the professor, the yeah. professor Mark Brew. I like him. And Nate's fucking Tony Schiavone, and I'm fucking Larry Zabisco or Bobby Heenan. Well, wait, can I? Can Who I? Who the be fuck Bobby is Heenan? Archie then? What the hell? I want to be Bobby. I don't want to be Marshall. No, yeah, he's Lee Marshall. Because he had to go on the road. Like, I wanted... <laughs> I, Archie, you went on the road. Oh, God. You didn't give me Lee any fucking books. Lee Marshall would 1-800-collect here in Weaselville. <laughs> you got to come, come up with Aaron puns, not Weasel puns. I don't puns. see nothing yeah. uh, on there about him being... One of them things. All right, so you can't you can't make him guilty by association, Aaron. Who? Steve Regal. Just because you team with a pedo doesn't mean you are a pedo. The, the Booker <laughs> ma- the Booker makes the decisions. You pretty much are. <laughs> but yeah, like, I'm. Yeah. If you walk out and you see somebody slamming a kid, and you just go, "All right, never mind. I didn't see that." It's like the finale of Seinfeld, the Good Samaritan Clause. Yeah, you're part of the part. <laughs> or the park. You're part of the park. This this got real weird. Like, the last two minutes got real, real weird. And doesn't it usually? I think usually non-British, I think the non-British Steve Regal was a part of the part of fucking... Bucks him off banging a kid. <laughs> can, we, can we cut that part out? Did we really only get through like 30 of these? We did. <laughs> yeah, everybody hey, just looked hey, at me. Hey, <laughs> I really said, I think Mark, the Steve. Yeah, you, don't, you don't have to repeat I, it. I don't need to repeat it. All of you just. Stopped and looked at me and said nothing. You earned it. <laughs> By the way, Mark, be proud. We only usually get through 20. <laughs> so 30 was like a, a high score. <laughs> but the funniest goddamn thing I've seen all night was me saying that and just everybody just going. <laughs> we all went dead quiet. Yeah. Dead air. <laughs> Dead air. Oh shit! Ah. That's the end of the show. Sadie is shaking her paw at you right now. No, oh, she's happy for me. She's like bad boy, bad boy. She's hitting you with a newspaper. Bad boy. The man that I said of it, Aaron. You shit on the carpet. Bad boy. The man <laughs> I said it. All of you were just like, mm. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Because I didn't think you were going to go the whole way through. I thought you were going to like use an innuendo. I didn't think you were going to say the actual in, word. Innuendo out innuendo your window. Out your window. <laughs> oh, that was so funny. All right, it's time, to, was... it's, 
It's time to wrap it up. Ugh, that's what she said. And we will start with the rookie, Mark. Any parting words for our listeners here this week? As next week, we will start with 181. Yes, if uh, me and Archie Mitch join, join in on this, <laughs> you can count that there's going to be 14 more parts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm loving every minute of it, so I don't give a shit. It's my show. I'll do what I want. Archie? I'm enjoying Yes. It. One, Archie Mitchell does not... Uh, uh, does not, um, what am I looking for the word? Archie Mitchell does not condone the words of Aaron Maxson <laughs> and does not condone what he thought Bug Zuhoff and Steve Regal did to children. There number you go. Two, good, 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 good Lee Marshall there, Archie. Number two, uh, new episode of uh, If You Smell What the Art is Cooking will be out Monday. I'm sorry I missed this past week, but unfortunately, real life just got in the way. And number three, Chad Austin, I'm still calling you out. You can't dunk me forever, Chad. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> Aaron, be nice. I know. Be, be <laughs> nice. <laughs> really? You expect him to be nice? No. I know no. exactly what Buck Sumoff did in his life. <laughs> Buck Sumoff, the piece of shit. We're, we're criticizing you for dragging Steve Regal into this. <laughs> Mr. Electricity, Steve Regal. Did nothing wrong, but I will say that Buxumov is a complete piece of shit, and I hope he dies. But who I don't hope dies is all of our listeners, and I appreciate you guys listening <laughs> to this show. If you're still listening after this. If you're still no. listening after this. If you're still listening to this, I hope you all agree. The Buck Sumoff is the biggest piece of shit that's ever existed in wrestling. Like, like Chris Benoit is a better f- fucking father than Buck Sumoff. Oh, oh, oh God. Oh, God. All right. Again, I don't condone any of this. Neither does Mark. Sorry, Nate. You can edit that. No, I can't because you stole my joke. <laughs> On a recent episode, on a recent episode of Reliving the Extreme, we were talking about Benoit, and I said, "Aaron, you don't have any kids, and you're a better father than Chris Benoit." So, oh my God. I recall that episode. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm not okay. editing it out. I'm going to give me myself credit for that. Hey, well, well let me finish. <laughs> let me finish. You have okay. more. I do have more. I guys and to continue to listen to the Reliving the Extreme podcast, which is a great podcast that was my brainchild on the um, We Can't Wrestle podcast group and um Listen to Mark Brew's podcast. Listen to Archie Mitchell's podcast. Listen to Nate's slightest time. I appreciate anything that you guys are listening to. Thank you. Oh, also, by the way, I got Kobe Mack showing up this uh this week on Mark's Indie Spotlight. She recently won the title, but I got her prior to her title win, so we're going to have to have her back so we can discuss that also. Yeah, absolutely, and actually... uh 
when we sign off with this show, I actually have that show set to uh, shoot out tonight. So there we go. Um, and this this won't be airing on Saturday, but Bark's show is already up if you're listening to this. Um, but yeah, listen listen to Archie, of course, if you smell what the Arch is cooking. Everybody's entitled to a break, Archie. Um, listen to Aaron, that year, the year that was. A fantastic show talking about 1997, of course. It's reliving but it's the fun. extreme... And um, as Aaron said, the, uh, the, the his brainchild, I'll give you credit for that. Thanks, bro. Good thing you beat the Roe v. Wade thing on that one. Um, and then, <laughs> other than that, yeah. folks, yeah, I'll, I'll make the most offensive uh, comment of the night. Thank you, everybody, for joining us this picketing. week. They're going to be yeah. picketing tomorrow in front of our houses. Yeah, they can pick it if they want. I'll be at work. Um <laughs> Thank you guys for joining me. Thank you everybody for supporting all of the shows here on the WrestleNet Radio Podcast Network. We look forward to joining you next week. Just a little hint as we start next week at 181. The first guy we're going to talk about was a member of the Orient Express. But anyway, that one's for you. This one is for you, Sadie. And we'll see everyone next week on the We Can't Wrestle podcast. Have a great week, everybody. Good night, everyone. Albuterzane. Love Sadie.